Well, good morning. You finally did it. And aren't you glad? I believe David Culp. I've known him for a while. I don't know him extremely well, but all that I know about him is good. And I congratulate you on uh, accepting him as your pastor. A church is largely determined by its pastor. Um, you can go to a church and be there for a short time, and not much is going to change. It's not going to be like you, but if you stay there five, six, seven, ten years, that church is going to become like the pastor. They're going to accept their, their beliefs, their systems, and all. you got a good man. But I'll tell you something else. The pastor doesn't always make the church. The church often makes the pastor. And you have a history in this church of doing a good job of making pastors. I knew Bob Moss before he came here. <laughs> he was a good man. He was a good pastor. But you made him a great pastor. And I knew some of your other pastors before that, Love Sorrel. Well, you worked on him as best you could. <laughs> no, you made a great man out of Luz. And before him, uh, your pastor was Marvin Baker, not Baker, Marvin Hartman. And uh, you have sent people from this congregation to national leadership. That means you're a great church. And so... Uh, you will make Dave Culp a better person after he's been here a while than he is before he comes. So uh, let him work on you, and you work on him nicely. <laughs> and uh, it'll be a great marriage. I'm, I'm thrilled for what is happening here. I'm also thrilled with what's happening with the leadership of this church. You know, you have been without uh, musical leadership and without... Uh, strong pastoral leadership as a senior pastor who can make uh, some decisions for a long, long time. Didn't Kim do a great job this morning on the organ? <clears throat> and you didn't have a men's choir before. Now you've got one in the interim period. And uh, the musical groups have done a great job. Uh, you're a great church. And just stay that way. Keep trusting the Lord and keep serving Him and things will go wonderful. Your, your Bible is turned to chapter 8, I hope, of Romans and verse 28. I'm just going to read that one verse to you. In fact, basically, I'm going to quote it to you because I think all of us could quote it. For we know that in all things God works for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Most Christians like to quote that verse to people when they're having difficulty. But we don't necessarily like it quoted to us when we're going through some tough times. In fact, many people think that we are nothing more than playthings of chance and fate. And in fact, if God doesn't like you, why some people think he'll just zap you, he'll, he'll make things tough on you. But on the other hand, if he loves you and he gives you a special favor, things are going to go well in your life. But I believe 
that this verse leads us to another view of life. This verse basically says that we are in the hands of an all-wise and all-good God. A God who has deep interest in our lives. A God who arranges and rules all the affairs of our lives so that when you put it all together, it works for our best and our good and our benefit. When it is properly understood, this verse of Scripture brings a great deal of hope and comfort to our lives. Moffat, in his translation, corrects a mistranslation of the King James Version. He says this, We know also that those who love God, who have been called in terms of His purpose, have His interest and aid in everything. I like that. Have his interest and his aid in everything. God interacts in all the circumstances of our lives so that ultimately good comes out in our life. Now, the text says that God works in all circumstances. We need to understand that this verse teaches that God cooperates with us, He cooperates with us. I like that. He is in cooperation with us. For 50 years, my wife has been in cooperation with me, and I've been in cooperation with her. So to have the idea that God cooperates with me, I like that. Now, we have a tendency to Americanize everything. You know, if the movie doesn't end up with the girl riding on the back of the horse with the cowboy out in the future, we don't like the ending of it. We always want it to end right. And in fact, we try to Americanize this verse so that everything is absolutely going to be perfect when it comes to its conclusion. But I'm here to tell you that life doesn't always come out all right in every circumstances. But I am here to tell you this. God is still there cooperating with us when things don't turn out always the way we want them to turn out. He's still present. Paul, the writer of this book, helps us to understand that God cooperates in everything, even the hostile things that happen to us. And he speaks at the, later on in this chapter in verse 30, 35 about some of the calamities that came to him but come to all mankind. He talks about what shall separate us from the love of God. Shall tribulation, he certainly had some of those. Shall trouble, shall hardship, shall persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. Paul faced all of those, but he says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. And so even in the midst of the most devastating set of circumstances that can come to your life, when you get away from it and you look back at it, it's not always easy to see it when you're in the middle of it. When you get away from it and look back at it, you can see that God was there all the time cooperating with you in those events, working it for good. And that no circumstance that ever comes into your life can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. There's no situation, however desperate that situa situation may be, in which you cannot find God, and you cannot find God working with you, helping you, guiding you, leading you. 
This verse says that God cooperates with us in all things. People react differently to this verse. Some people say, you know, can that verse really be true? Can it really be true? Some would say, no, that verse is not true. Others would say, boy, I hope to God it is true. And then there's some of us who would say, I know it's true because I have experienced it as being true. Some of the adverse things that happened in my life and has happened in your life, boy, you wouldn't want to go through them again for anything. But when you look back on it, you can see some good things that came out of those experiences. And you grew as a person as well. I choose as a Christian to put my hand, my, 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 put myself in the hands of a loving God instead of the chance fate of the universe. So that when I'm glad or when I'm sad, when I'm successful or when I'm trodden down, when I'm strong or when I am weak, that isn't happenstance. It is God working in my life to bring me to be the kind of person that he wants me to be. It has meaning and it has purpose and I need to find the meaning and purpose of it. My life is in the hands of the providence of an almighty God. It's not in the hand of chance or fate. It's in the hands of God and he works in everything that happens in my life. I may not understand why something is happening. I may not like what's happening. I don't have to like what's happening. I can sometimes even complain a bit about it. But I can assure you this, I know that God is there in those circumstances with me, helping to work it out for some good in my life. God works in all circumstances for good. This text helps us to see that God causes all things to work together. The emphasis, I think, is on the working together. Paul does not say here that all things that happen to us are good. Certainly they're not. But he says, you put everything together and good can come out of that. And so one event before another, with another, after another, put it all together and that's how the good can come out of it. Let's illustrate that. Turn to Genesis chapter 45. Hold your finger there. We're going to read verses 4 through 8 in a minute. It's the story of Joseph and his brothers. And it illustrates this point, I believe, very well. The brothers are exceedingly jealous of Joseph. They don't like him. In fact, they've grown to hate him. Now... I don't think Joseph is totally innocent in all that. After all, dad made him a coat of many colors. And he wore it, flaunting it, I think. Didn't make the other kids any coats, but he made Joseph a coat. Joseph had a couple of dreams. He shared those dreams. He said to his brothers, I had a dream. And your sheaves of wheat bowed down to my sheaf of wheat that was standing up. That's a great way to bond together with brothers and sisters. 
they didn't like that. So they grew to hate him. And on one occasion, Jacob sent them, sent Joseph to, to see how the brothers were doing in the field as they were watching sheep. They saw him coming and they schemed as to how they might put him to death. Instead, they sold him into slavery, sold him to the Mennonites. The Mennonites then sold him to the Egyptians. The, the Egyptians sold him to Potiphar, who was a, a part of Pharaoh's court. And he's now away from his family, and he's a slave. They take his coat, and they soak it in the blood of a sheep and say to dad, an animal must have killed him. Things aren't going well for him. He is put over Pontifer's household. And Pontifer's wife is attracted to him physically. And she tries to seduce him. He refuses. She tries on many occasions. On one occasion, she was able to pull his coat off of him as he was running away from her. That's the best thing to do to a woman who's aggressive. Run from her. And he was running from her. And she had his coat and she went to Pontifer and lied and said, this servant that you brought into the house tried to rape me. Joseph is innocent. And yet he's sent to prison. While he is in prison, he has leadership ability, so he rises to become the leader over all the prisoners. There are two people that are in prison because Pharaoh has put them there. They have dreams. He interprets the dreams. The dreams come true. He says to the one man, Rem remember me when you come to before Pharaoh. He forgot him. He's in prison for a long time. Then one day, Pharaoh has a dream. And the guy remembers since no one else can interpret the dream, there was a man in prison who could interpret dreams, brings Joseph before Pharaoh. He tells him the dream. He interprets the dream. There's going to be seven years of prosperity, seven years of famine. Here's what you need to do. You need to build larger barns, and you need to harvest a lot and store up grain because there's going to be seven years when there's not going to be any harvest. And he was so impressed with Joseph, he made him second in command over all of Egypt under him. The prosperity year, seven years have passed. They're now two years into the drought. And a little band of Jews come down into Egypt to buy some grain for their family. It's his brothers. And he recognizes them. All of these adverse circumstances you would think would have made Joseph a bitter man. Where in the world is God in all of this? Why hasn't God protected me? I love God. Why hasn't he done that? He could have become bitter toward his brothers, toward his family. He could have turned against God. He was away from family. He could have done anything he wanted to do. No one would have known he turned against God. And yet we discover that God gave him a soft heart, gave him understanding, gave him insight, gave him a forgiving spirit. And here they stand. He questions them to be certain that his father is still alive and his younger brother, Benjamin, who is his true 
full brother was still alive. It's a long story. I don't have time to tell you this morning. It's a wonderful story if you read it this afternoon. But you will discover that Joseph does not have a bitter spirit, but he recognizes God working in everything that happened to him for good. Look at verse 4. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. (laughs) I would imagine their knees begin to pass each other. And now, do not be distressed. And do not be angry with yourself for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. He recognized they did it, but they really didn't do it. It was in God's plan to send him there. Verse 6. For two years now there has been a famine in the land. And for the next five years there will, be not, there will not be plowing or reaping. Second time he says it. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth. And to save your lives by great deliverance. So then, third time. It was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. Now, folks, that's quite an insight for a person who has gone through tragedy after tragedy after tragedy in his life. Years later, when Jacob dies, Joseph's father, the boys get real nervous. Because this can't be genuine, this can't be real. Surely he's been waiting until dad dies to get even with us for the dastardly deed we have done to him. And they come. Turn over a few pages to chapter 50, verses 19 and 21. They're supposing that he's going to deal harshly. Verse 19. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in God's place or the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. That's the fourth time he said that. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Now, if you take in isolation the individual acts that happened to Joseph, you would have to say they don't make any sense at all. And we would say, why is this kind, gentle person who loves God, why is this innocent person being treated the way he is? But when you put it all together, and you understand it as you look back at it, you can see that God was working for the good of Joseph, but for the people of Israel. J. Wallace Hamilton, in one of his books, talks about a little boy watching a parade through a knothole in a fence. And all he can see is, through this knothole, is just this little bit right down the center aisle. Can't see what's on the sides. He just sees what is in the present moment through that knothole. And he says, uh, 
Many of us are like that. All of us are like that in life. We look at life and all we see is the knot hole, the present, the peace we're in right now. Have a little bit of history, but basically what we focus on is the present moment. But he said, God is on top of the fence. And God can see what has passed by. He sees what's in the present. And he sees that which is yet to come. He sees the whole perspective. Life is like a book. Has many chapters in it. And we get all excited because one of those chapters isn't being written exactly the way we want it to be written. Sometimes we get all bent out of shape and sometimes we might be tempted to leave God and no longer trust in God. We just don't like the way that chapter's being written and we're convinced that the whole book's going sour. And it becomes the tragic chapter of our life. And we think that life is over and doomed because of that one chapter. But folks, let me tell you something. God isn't finished with you and me yet. He's still writing chapters of the book. And when you put that one chapter and blend it in with all of the chapters of life, you see that it was working for your good. Remember, God's on the fence. He has a better perspective than you and I have. And God is cooperating in all of these things that happen to us to put them together so that they begin to fit and make sense out of the nonsense that happens to us. God causes all things to work together for good. Now, we have enough common sense to realize that everything that happens to us is not good. Not saying that this morning. Not at all. For instance, there are disappointed hopes that we have. That's not good. The things that's happened in Scotland and England with the terrorists, that's not good. What's happening in Iraq and around the world is, is not good. It is not good when you have pain of sickness it's not good when there is separation of sorrow, sorrow, separation. It is not good when there's heartache of love, when there is divorce, and when there is abuse sexually and sexual abuse going on in a variety of ways. It's not good when there's abortion and when there's drugs and when there's all kinds of bad things happening. None of those things are good, folks. You can't make them good. There is no way under God's heaven you can say those are good things. They're bad things. It's interesting, and at the same time, it's a difficult thing to understand when Paul says all things work together for good. How does a divorce work together for good? How does the death of a loved one, how does a tragic accident work together for good? Boy, I wish Paul would have said a few things work together for good. I could have understood that. I wish he'd have said some things work together for good. He didn't say that. He said, all things work together for good. All things. And that leads us to the discovery that even the suffering of this present time that you and I may be encountering can become a source of blessing to our lives. They can. That leads us to the discovery 
that there's no sentimental attempt here to persuade us that evil things are actually good. But I am here to tell you that God can take those evil things and bring good out of it. He can. They remain what they are, evil, but they do not have the power to defeat us. And no matter how bitter the circumstance may be in your life, we can learn, we can learn to discover in them God cooperating with us to bring good out of it. I've discovered something. Actually, in those times when it seems that the experiences we're having are actually denying the goodness of God, you will find God most undoubtedly present in those circumstances. Paul, in Corinthians, gives a list of the things that had happened to him. He had faced hunger and thirst. He had been lonely. He had had sickness. He had been in prison. He had been robbed. He had been whipped. He had been shipwrecked. And yet, nowhere do you find Paul reproaching God, complaining to God about those kinds of things that had happened in his life. Instead, he says... God is working in all those circumstances for good. Everything that happens to us is not good, but God puts it all together, all together. Now, this passage says two very important things yet. One of those important things is that God works in all circumstances for those who love him. That's an important piece for those who love him. God's promise is to the people who love him. The problem is that it is easier to love God in the good times than it is in the bad times. Have you noticed that? A whole lot easier to love him when things are going well. A good test perhaps would be this. Just how much do you love God when things get rough? Do the circumstances of life get the best of you? Are you as committed to the Lord and do you trust Him as much and love Him as much when things are going bad as when things are going good? Are you ever tempted to throw your faith in and throw your trust away and say, I'm giving all of this up when things reverse on you? It's so easy in those times to stop loving God and stop trusting God and drift into a self-pity party. The people who have the power in these adverse circumstances of life are those who love God and trust God through them to bring good in the midst of adversity. But God's promise is also... Not only to those who love him, but those who are called according to his purpose. Now, what is the purpose of of God? He says it in verse 29, to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. The only way that God has of conforming us to his image is through trouble, folks. Because you don't pay much attention until trouble strikes. 
you kind of think you've made your success. You kind of think that I am responsible for my house and my car and my bank account and my family. No, 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 no. It's all God. And the only way that God has many times of getting our attention is through trouble and adversities. Most of us don't listen until adversity strikes. And then we're very much in tune. It is only those people who love God and trust God and live their lives according to His purpose that have the promise that all things will work for good. I can't guarantee that for you if you're a non-believer. I, I can't guarantee it. But I can guarantee it for you. Because the Word says it. If you love God and you're called according to His purpose, God will be in the process of working together with you so that all things will come out and be fine. Well, maybe not exactly fine the way you want it to be, but you'll see growth and progress in your life, and you'll see blessing in your life as you look back on it. And you'll give Him praise and glory. Here's something you need to get hold of, though. Everything I've talked about this morning depends upon your attitude. The way you approach it. If you approach adversity with a bad attitude and a complaining spirit, you're not going to gain much out of it. I didn't say you had to understand it. I simply said you need to approach it with a positive attitude that this promise is true because you love God and you try to live your life according to His purpose and He will work in all circumstances to bring about your good. I don't know what you're facing this morning. Your heart may be heavy. In a congregation this size, no doubt there are persons whose heart is heavy and you would say, boy, I just... I wish that sermon were true. I'm not sure I can really get into that one this morning because he doesn't know how much I'm hurting. You may be hurting. There may be pain in your life. There may be pain that you're feeling that might even come out in your face. It's so intense. But I assure you of this. I beg you, take hold of this verse. Quote it. Live by it. Because I have found it to be true. I've seen other people who have found it to be true. That God works together with us in all circumstances to bring good in our life. Father, I pray that you'll help us with this passage. There are, there are no doubt some people here this morning who are struggling with this very concept. Life has not dealt them a good blow, even this week. Father, I pray by faith they'll reach out and take hold of this truth. They'll bring it into their life. And they'll begin to thank God. God, I don't know what you're doing. I don't understand it. But I'm trusting you to bring some good out of this horrible situation I'm in. Give them grace and give them hope and give them faith today. In the strong name of Christ we pray. Amen. Would you stand please? This morning if you have not put your hand in his hand your life into his care a simple prayer will do that for you Lord Jesus I know that I have sinned 
I know that you died on the cross to forgive me my sin. I repent of those sins and I ask you to come into my life. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. In Jesus' name. If you pray that prayer, you'll become born again. God's Spirit moves inside of you and lives in you. Some of you today may be facing some real difficult times. Congregation this size, I know there are persons who are doing that. You ought not carry that alone. You ought to depend upon the body of Christ to help you and to pray with you. And the altar is open this morning for you. If you'd like to pray, some people can gather around. You can tell them what it is. If you want to, you don't have to tell them. They can still pray and support you. Just want to pray alone, tell them you just like to pray alone. But it's your opportunity to to affirm, yes, God, I'm going through a tough time. I know your promise is true, and I'm going to grasp out and take hold of it today as we sing again.